Hey everyone, Misaligned is finally back from our hiatus and we are bringing you a little something different and it's going to be more of a seasonal type thing for now. But Megan, I know this is definitely going to be a little bit of a work in progress here, but why don't you tell everyone what our first season is about? We are going to be focusing on ladies in the music industry, essentially, which as of our recording time right now, we haven't quite got a title fully wrapped, but we have an exciting season planned for you guys. We went ahead and actually have already recorded one of our interview episodes. So as a sneak preview to what you can expect to hear this season, besides, you know, the typical banter between Deanna and I, is an interview with Side One Dummies' Jamie Coletta. Yes, and we cover quite a few things in there, but I don't want to give too much of away because Megan and I had a really fun time talking to Jamie. And today, what we're going to do is Megan and I, like she said, we're going to do our typical banter, but it's going to be focused along the lines of some of the things that will come up throughout the season, what we'll talk about with guests and everything like that. So, you know, this episode is probably going to be a little shorter than our usual episode simply because it's an introduction of what's to come and we'll have about eight episodes this season focusing like Megan said on ladies in the music industry and Megan why don't we just go ahead and jump right into sort of what you and I both have going on in the music industry right now and I know you are focused a lot more in journalism as far as you know what you want to do for a full-time job and everything like that So when you were at school, did you know you sort of wanted to focus in music, in journalism, or are you sort of open to other areas as well? When I was in school, I stood with the whole journalism track. And for some reason, you know, I went in wanting to do broadcast. And sure, that was great. And that was fun until I got to University Park and discovered I wasn't really fond of the program I was in. And at that point, you know, it was kind of too late to change because I'd already been accepted into it. And everyone has told me that throughout the years, oh, maybe you should take a focus on music stuff. Like maybe you should get more involved in the music industry itself and write more about it. And after college, I basically did more music writing than I did actual news stuff. And that's gonna be something that's more of a side hustle for me in the like meantime because I am job searching and I have been looking in the world of journalism and the world of social media but it's kind of hard to actually have a niche if you're not already like fully in that industry. I am still by far considered a baby writer compared to people like um oh my gosh I can picture her in my head and I just can't can't get the name out. This is bad. Are you thinking of Jess Hopper or someone else? No, I'm not thinking of Jess Hopper. I am thinking of Maria Sherman. There we go. Okay. Okay. That is yes. who I'm thinking of. Maria, who has bylines in a lot of places, which is really awesome. And I admire Maria's work a lot, but I'm nowhere near the level that she's at right now with what she's been doing with her writing. And it's it's been a struggle, kind of, but, you know, I've been happy weaving my way in the scene a little bit, 
making connections, meeting people, doing basically what you're supposed to do and having fun all at the same time. Like I've gotten to meet some really wonderful musicians and I've gotten to work with some amazing PR folks and I've gotten to talk to a lot of great industry folk who have given me some great advice and pretty much the vast majority of everyone I've talked to has been a guy and has been pretty cool with you know me just hanging out and being who I am if that makes sense I guess no it does and you have you know more of a background in sort of reporting and journalism and everything than I do I just purely enjoy writing and as you know from editing my various things on hi-fi noise it kind of goes all over the place I'll have you edit like comic book reviews album Mm -hmm. reviews tv stuff and like you said Maria Sherman has had bylines at these big sites and everything. And for me, while I have bylines kind of all over the place as well, you know, I have my site. I started writing at Substream for film recently. Hidden Remote is the only site paying me right now. And even that, you know, it's not like enough to pay the bills every month or anything like that. And it's not meant to be. So I'm fine with that. I'm just like, hey, some money in my bank account. Look at that. And I think the hard thing is there are so many sites now. It's not quite as much of a niche, I guess you could say, as it used to be. Because there's, you know, sites like mine, 36 Vultures, the alternative, all these sort of smaller sites that are purely done just because we enjoy writing that some people don't necessarily understand when you can't pay writers or you sort of you're getting these pitches in and you have to sort of explain to the publicist or whoever the band that is sending it and be like, yeah, I don't have a staff, so I can't really, you know, get to everything that I want to get to. And I'm sure you feel that same way with interviews, too, because you are sort of known as one of the main interviewers for Modern Vinyl. So do you find yourself sort of getting a lot of pitches? And it's not that you don't want to do all of these interviews. It's just that you cannot do all of them being only one person. You know, I think the good thing about having as free of a schedule as I do right now, which I can say I've been kind of blessed, like it's kind of a blessing in disguise to not be fully working and doing all this on my own time. But there comes a point when you get so many and it's just so overwhelming. It's just like I'm the type of person that feels really bad when I have to say no. Yeah. So I've been using this as an opportunity to kind of try to be better about it and try to let people down easily. As of right now, I have a few things to send out tonight after we finish recording this intro um, that are not no's. These are actually, yes, I'm going to take this on for Modern Vinyl and kind of get out there again. So I don't know. Sometimes you just have to step back and kind of focus on your mental health if it gets a little too overwhelming which is fine if you need to step back and focus on your mental health it can be really really daunting especially when you sometimes field things at shows like oh 
So, which one of the band guys is your boyfriend? Or, oh, that's cute. Are you the merch girl here to sell us stuff? These are things I have experienced. I'm just like, mm, no. I'm here to see the show because I, like, if I'm doing a, an interview in person, I should clarify. If it's an interview in person, I'll try to go out and see, like, the bands the night they're playing. Right. Or if they're a band I've previously interviewed via, like, email or phone and I finally get a chance to go see them. Etc. But anyway, I'll get these questions sometimes. I'll just be like, no, I am here working or like I interviewed them earlier today and I'm here to see what they're all about if I'm not already a fan. Like, this is a horrible assumption to make because not every girl is here to find a potential husband and a band member. Right. Or sell merch to everyone. Like, I respect the merch folk of the industry. There's no denying that. But when you're a writer and you kind of get asked if you're a merch folk, it, it does kind of sting a little. So I don't know. Yeah. And it's very odd that merch sort of gets that stigma because I've seen a lot of merch people who are guys, you know, yeah. and it's just like, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> you know, just because a girl is at a show or something, it's not like they're automatically the merch girl, which, you know, fortunately, I haven't run into anything like that. And I actually interview a lot more over email than I think you do. And that's mm -hmm. simply because more often than not, when they want me to go meet the band in person, it's up in L.A., and it's during the week. And for anyone who doesn't live around here, if you are someone who lives in Orange County and someone asks you to drive into L.A. at like, you know, five to seven at night, it's just a complete nightmare. And unfortunately, it's actually not something I can really afford to constantly be doing right now because I drive a box and that box uses up a lot of gas. <laughs> See, that's where I'm lucky enough to be nestled you know, kind of in between D.C., Richmond, and Charlottesville. Right. Even though it is a logistical nightmare to get up to D.C. right now because the metro is still a mess. And parking is just a nightmare and overpriced. So I've been doing a lot more things down in Charlottesville and Richmond because the parking is easier there. Or it's just easier to get to venues because they're not street parking only or garage that's 500,000 miles away in a sketchy part of town that makes you want to have someone walk you to your car. Right. And the thing with shows in LA too is that I don't really have a good mode of transportation to get from Orange County to LA. And even if I did, I don't know if, you know, the trains run that late to bring me back here on time or something like that. Because I know when I was in Philly, the subway you know, sometimes we were cutting it pretty close when my friends and I would go to shows and would have to take the subway back to campus because it cut off right around midnight. So if a show was running late, it's like we were sprinting to the subway to get back just so we wouldn't, you know, be stuck taking a cab in the middle of the night or something like that. And it's one of those things where it's great when there are bands that come to the smaller venues around here, like Chain Reaction is a big one that's only about 10 minutes away from me, I would say. And then the Observatory is a bigger venue than 
chain reaction, but it's still relatively small in terms of venues around in the LA area anyway, because, you know, there are a lot of arenas, football stadiums and stuff like that, that the really big artists play or the Hollywood Bowl or something like that. And it's just interesting to sort of see how even though a lot of music scenes are so far apart, there are some, you know, like huge similarities when you are talking specifically about big cities like DC and LA and New York, I'm sure, although New York's public transportation is probably infinitely better than anything else, even if it doesn't seem that way to New Yorkers all the time. <laughs> well, I mean, when you've got all the lines that are shut down <laughs> and you have to take buses, but I mean, that's been the logistical nightmare with DC and Metro. And basically what we're trying to say here is public transportation is good in theory, but in practice, it can actually be a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, especially when it's over here and it's not nearly as good as it is on the East Coast, if you want to, you know, call that good. I don't really know, but I'm sure overseas they have it figured out way better than we do. <laughs> I'm pretty sure uh, Japan, that's where they've really got it locked down. Yeah, and I've oddly heard a lot of bands having you know, really great experiences or really crazy experiences in Japan. It's like kind of polar opposites. It's never like necessarily a bad experience that I've personally heard of, but it's like it's either really crazy things happen or it goes really nice and smooth and everything like that. It's very, very odd. True. And then there's Jeff Rosenstock, who back in 2015 did the whole five shows in five boroughs in one day in New York City and relied basically on public transportation to get him and his band everywhere, even if it meant being a little late for shows. Because I think he was just a little bit late for the Brooklyn show that Chris, Mike, James, and I were all at when we were up in um, New York City. Yeah, and real quick, I know interviews are really sort of your cup of tea and everything like that, but is there anything you've wanted to do journalism-wise that you haven't really been able to do because you've sort of been, you know, like the interview person? You know, this is where the broadcasting is coming back to kind of bite me a little. I would love to maybe do on-the-scene reports in, say record stores or maybe actual venues but right now I don't have the means to do that and it could tie into interviewing but at the same time it's like well sometimes it's just better to see things than read about them or see like a thousand words on how cool something is like I would love to go out and write a think piece but just time constraints you know yeah, and what you're talking about with the record stores and venues, would it sort of be something along the lines of you would have perhaps a video person go along with you and maybe do like a tour of the record store and talk to the employees, talk to the owner, that sort of thing, and really get a feel for how their particular store works? Is that something along the lines of what you're thinking? Kind of. Because there's also a lot of history associated with a lot of stores. Right. And their owners, too. I mean, some of these stores, like, I know definitely up in D.C., there's some with history that have actually relocated a few times. 
but it's just sometimes it's cool to get the history behind stuff and actually see that in person it's like when i go to various venues like the national down in richmond i love going there just to see how gorgeous it is because there's so much you wouldn't think it was actually that's what it looked like on the inside or even the altria theater which looks like a church on the inside which is so interesting for like concerts or even broadway productions yeah and that's something that would definitely be really interesting to see and for me out here you know obviously there are three different amoeba locations i've only ever been to the hollywood one because the other two are up you know san francisco berkeley area but you have a mega store like amoeba that's still around and it's sort of kind of like the old tower record stores you would see because it's just so massive and everything like that and then you have you know these tiny record stores either in other areas in LA or down here in Orange County and it's sort of just really interesting to see that these stores are still somehow surviving and somehow still open because there's one I go to it's Pepperland Music it's next to the used bookstore I go to that's pretty much how I found out about it. I was going to the bookstore one day and was like, oh, hey, music store. And they have a ton of Beatles stuff, not only just records, but they just have like Beatles memorabilia kind of everywhere. And they sell instruments and everything like that, too. So it's not strictly a music or a record store. It's more sort of a general music store, I guess you could say, because they'll fix up instruments and everything like that. But it's just really interesting to see how you can have one store that really specializes in one thing, and then you can go to a store that's pretty much like all punk music or something like that. Yeah. I mean, Richmond has the niche stores where a lot of them focus on hardcore and punk music, and then you've got the general stores that are essentially like Amoeba. So it's kind of fun just to even dig in places that you wouldn't think to dig. Yeah, definitely. And another thing I want to touch on is just working in the industry outside of writing, and this probably applies to me quite a bit more than it applies to you. Have you had any internships or anything that were not writing or journalism-based or anything along those lines? Not really. Okay. Like When I was in college, definitely the internships were more to focus on the career path I wanted to take. Right. And this is why I'll always have a little bit of journalist in me, no matter what I do, because I interned at a news radio station in the summer of 2012 was one of my favorite ones. And that taught me a lot. Like I learned more about the inner workings of newsrooms and how to be a better reporter than actually the method of, or like perfecting the method of reporting. So it's how to talk to people more, how to, you know, get out of my awkward little shell, which is why kind of online writing rocks because you don't really have to talk to people if you don't want to, but still. Yeah. And, you know, obviously we've talked about jobs or lack thereof in some cases. So I definitely want to focus on the things that I am working on. Because while they are by no means like full-time jobs or anything, there's still things I really enjoy doing. And if I could make a full-time job out of them, that would be completely awesome. So I'm going to just quickly start with the internships I've done. In high school, that was when I did my first music industry-related internship. I interned at a local recording studio. It was called The Rec Room. It's not really 
a recording studio anymore. It moved from a little industrial place in Anaheim to like a $3 million estate in Coto de Casa, which is, you know, a totally weird random thing to happen. And then when my boss, who was the studio owner, it was just him there and then me as an intern, when he moved off of that estate, he sort of decided to just do mixing and mastering. So it's it's still there, but it's not really a recording studio anymore. It's just mixing and mastering services, basically. And that was the internship where I realized I probably didn't want to do the tech track of things for when I was at Drexel because Drexel offered tech business. And initially, they offered a pre-law track, but that was gone my freshman year, I think, was when they got rid of that because the main professor who was teaching those law classes left is my best guess as to why they just didn't bother with it anymore after that. So I had that internship in high school because I oddly had to have an internship in high school to graduate high school, which is a whole other separate story because I went to a really nerdy high school. And then while I was at Drexel, I was required to do two internships during the summer. And instead of doing two, I actually did three. So I interned at Fearless Records twice. The first time I was doing street team marketing, aka sitting in the mailroom sweating all day because it was the only room without air conditioning. And the second summer I was doing publishing. So they let me come back and I was able to do something else just so I could sort of learn the different aspects of having a record label, running a record label, that sort of thing. And my fourth internship was for a music tech company, which is Cumulus FM. I still do freelance work for my boss there once in a while. So I kind of did as much as I could, basically, because I did not need to do that first internship at Fearless, technically. But I was like, you know, I'm going home. They're not too far from the house. I might as well just, you know, give myself something to do over the summer. And I went in, I believe it was two days a week, that first internship, and then three days a week, the following one. Hmm. Listening to you talk makes me kind of glad I didn't have to do a high school internship. Yeah, I mean, it it was really fun. It's just, you know, I was not quite patient enough. I mean, I do the editing for this, but editing a podcast is way, way different than editing music and you have far fewer tracks, believe me. And it was just something, you know, I was sitting there watching my boss edit one day and I swore I just like started falling asleep because I didn't have anything to do really. And I was like, okay, maybe maybe studio work isn't going to be for me. And You know, when you're sort of like the assistant, you kind of set up a session, sit there the whole session, and then break down the session. So, you know, well, my high school didn't need to know. I wasn't doing all that much work. (laughs) But, you know, it, it was definitely a learning experience. And it let me figure out before I even got to Drexel sort of which direction I wanted to go in, which, you know, I didn't have to be one of those people who was like, well, which do I want to do? Do I want to take these classes or these classes? Because I think it was by our junior year, they made you pick. They were like, okay, you need to decide like what you're going to do. (laughs) I mean, that sounds pretty similar to what Penn State has within the journalism program, or at least the communications program, because by your junior year, you basically need to figure out what track you want to take. Yeah. And the nice thing 
about doing that internship, though, was that I did have to take certain tech classes at Drexel, and I already knew how to, you know, somewhat use Pro Tools and everything like that. So that was helpful for me because it made those classes a little easier, too. So that was nice. And then when I finished at Drexel, I got a job at a company called Music Reports, which I know I've mentioned on here before, and I was doing data entry for their song decks database, which no one else uses song decks, so I'm not expecting anyone to know what that is. But basically, it was a giant database where you put in songwriting and publisher information. So you had the list of songwriters, the list of publishers, and who got what percentage, and then, you know, someone else fought over the royalty stuff if it added up to over 100%. <laughs> yep. See, I don't know if I could do data entry. My yeah. ADHD, I feel like I would just be like, okay, I'm doing this. It's keeping me focused, but then I'm going to start to wander and downside of ADHD. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, even for me, it was something that was hard to stay completely focused on for eight hours because that's pretty much all I was doing I you know at first I started with what they called song matching which basically you would go through a set of songs see if they were already in the database and if they were then match those songs to the ones already in the database anything I just said makes sense anyway it kind of does because back in the day when you know iTunes wasn't really Apple Music and you put a CD into it it would always ask you like if it's this specific cd because right. they had like five thousand different things in their databases so you could have like an american cd but for some reason the british version could pop up and be like is it this one yeah it was kind of similar to that so like if let's say a beyonce song was already in the database and it popped up again in a song that needed to be matched you could just be like okay hey this beyonce song is already in here so it goes here here's all the information and then you're set and you know unfortunately for me all of those easy song matches were usually taken so then when you had songs come up that didn't match anything in the database you had to go research them and then put all of that information in so you were on like bmi ascap and all those sites all day pretty much trying to get all of this information or as much as you could anyway and put it into the database so they would know who the royalties went to and everything like that and then after you do song matching for i want to say maybe a handful of months i don't even know if it was that long they moved me to just looking at spreadsheets and putting that information into the database or matching it to what was already in the database. So it was definitely just like data entry pretty much the whole time, unless you happen to get a bunch of songs that would just match to what was already in there. And like you, it, it was something that was hard for me to focus on because I like having either more hands-on things to do or just a little more variety. And I'm not saying this because I want to, you know, say anything bad about the company because it was a perfectly fine company. They paid you pretty darn well to just be doing data entry all day. And, you know, it was a really good first out of college job, I guess you could mm -hmm. say, because, you know, I feel like while I already did internships and I kind of knew I didn't want to go to the tech track, there's still so many different aspects of the business side of the music industry where you have to kind of do a bunch of things to figure out what it is you really enjoy doing. So for me, that's kind of what I see this job as. It's like, okay, 
you know, I got the job, tried it out, did it, and then didn't think it was quite the right fit for me. And here we are now. (laughs) Yep. That's kind of like the life of a freelancer, too, where you're just like, well, I don't like writing about this thing, so I can rule that out for future reference. (laughs) Yeah. I don't like pitching this company, so I can rule that out, but I won't badmouth them publicly. Yeah. And like I said, it didn't have anything to do with the company. It just was the job itself. It wasn't something that I felt fit what I was looking to do. And, you know, a lot of people are perfectly fine going into work, you know, doing their thing nine to five or eight to four, whatever it was. And, just being able to leave their work at work and go home. And that's exactly what that job was. It's like, you know, you worked while you were there and then you didn't have to worry about any of it while you were not there. And in today's day and age, that sounds ideal. Yeah. And I think that job works for a lot of people, but they also have a lot of people come and go. So, you know, it wasn't just me who was like, oh, well, I'll, you know, do this, try it out, see how it goes. And then when I want to do something else, I'll move on. Like that's sort of the basic understanding I think that this company has because just while I was there, I think two, three, at least three people in my little area, which only comprised of six people had left before I did. So, you know, it was one of those things where they have a high turnover. That is the phrase for it. There we go. Those are the words. Yes, high turnover rates, always a fun thing to hear about when you're job searching. Yeah, and I had a friend who was working there and he recommended me for the job. So, you know, I didn't just go into it not really knowing what to expect. I just wanted to see if it was, you know, something that would be a good fit for me. And my friend also ended up leaving before I left. So it it was just, you know... I guess one of those years for them where they happen to have a lot of people leaving. I don't know, you know, who all is still there or what, but it was definitely a good first job. And since then, basically, I've been trying to get any work I can. I've been doing, like you already know, freelance PR. And like I said, Hidden Remote is the one site paying me, but it's by no means like a salary (laughs) or anything like that. Mm Mm-hmm. As we're now talking about jobs, I'm now looking at jobs. <laughs> Always a good thing to be multitasking about. But that's, you know, the music industry and I guess the job industry as a whole. Yeah, it seems like right now it's not just the music industry that is difficult to get a job in because I've definitely applied to a fair share of non-music industry jobs and it's just kind of like anything and everything. It's just like... Yeah, we're hiring, but they're most likely hiring internally is what I gather, especially when you have big companies like CBS, Warner, and, you know, those ones that hire, I want to say, more from within than they do just bringing people in. Mm -hmm. Or everyone wants you to intern. (laughs) Yeah. And then you have the jobs where they're looking for the impossible candidate that doesn't really exist but they're going to try to get as close to the person as they can get yeah and it's funny that something like a social media coordinator or something like that I've been noticing more and more that they sort of just lump graphic design into a lot of these positions and I'm like 
well, I can kind of do stuff, but I don't think I could do stuff as quickly as, you know, they would want instead of just hiring like a social media person and a graphic design person. It's like they want you to be able to do like two or three jobs in one. And I think that makes it sort of a lot more difficult. And I think sometimes too, you know, some people don't know that music industry is a major, which I learned a lot on my flights to and from Philly when people, you know, would ask me what school I went to or they would see I was wearing a Drexel sweatshirt or something and ask me what my major was. And a lot of them would just like sort of like not understand when I said music industry or they would just be like, oh, okay. <laughs> and that It's sort of a major that still kind of gets that sort of reaction, I feel like. Mm-hmm. But anyway, continuing on with uh, this season of Miss Align, now that we're talking about jobs, we will also have discussions with some other industry folks besides Jamie about what they do and how they kind of field the world around them. And with this, we're also going to get into a conversation about how we can kind of break the stigma like we were talking about with being a lady in the music industry or being someone who's non-binary in the music industry and trying to figure out how to go from there. It's a complicated field in a way. And we kind of want to jump in and explore that as a whole. Yeah, definitely. And like we said, we have that episode with Jamie coming up soon and we will have, you know, at least a few more guests coming this season. So it's not going to be the typical episode format that we were having before. It's not going to necessarily be an episode with just Megan and I and then interview and then back to Megan and I. It's going to be a little more variety, I would say, or varied. There we go. It's going to be a little more varied this season. Like we'll have more research into some of the things we talk about too. Um, in fact, I have just put up our brainstorming, our brainstorming doc, where we've got more in our little hub instead of our little liner notes that we normally do. And definitely there are other ideas that we can look at. Um, the female lens, for example, if you've taken a women's studies class, you'll always hear about the gaze or the lens. And we're going to try to explore that a little more. Might be more on my end. Yeah, I have not taken any of those classes, so I'm a little lost. So you will be explaining a lot of things to me, probably. (laughs) Yeah. And also, it's kind of like, to put it into perspective, it's kind of going to be like a book. We're actually going to have some meat and we're not going to pull together ideas at the last minute, which is really cool. Um, There's also... I think it was actually Chris that suggested this, but there have been a lot of things in the media that have definitely been more female-centered, like the NPR list about the 150 greatest albums made by women. Right. And I think there was a subsequent article on Jezebel that was like the 150 worst albums made by men. (laughs) I don't think I saw that. I'll have to send it to you. It's, It's actually pretty funny. Okay. But it was... Kind of like a, yeah, if NPR is going to do this and I have, it's done by various NPR writers across the nation. I think, I want to say Maria Sherman may have had something on there. Okay. 
I know that Desiree Moses has had some stuff, but she's Charlottesville-based and has done some stuff with NPR, which is really cool. But uh, yeah, that'll be fun to talk about because some of the albums that are on that list are actually, you know, ones that you really wouldn't think about. Like, sure, the Spice Girls are on that list and sure, Taylor Swift is on that list as well. But then you throw in the non-binary folks or uh, trans folks like Laura Jane Grace of Against Me. I believe transgender dysphoria blues actually made it onto that list, which is totally kick-ass. Yeah, and like we said, this is definitely just an intro episode. And I know Megan and I sort of wanted to get it all in one place, sort of what we've done in the industry, what we're currently doing, and while that is more on the journalism side for Megan, I definitely am sort of all over the place. So we have sort of two really different perspectives here, too. And I think that's something that will definitely be explored a lot more throughout these next several episodes and everything like that. But before we get into our usual recommendations, which you will still be getting from us in these regular episodes, We are also still going to do a book club episode or two each season, and right now the first book we're going to cover is Girl in a Band by Kim Gordon, and Megan and I have both barely started the book, so you know we know just enough to sort of have us hooked and be interested in this book, but I think it'll be a really good read, and from what I can tell so far, it's a pretty quick read too. It's about 275 pages and there's some pictures in there pictures are always good in books as Megan and I have been known to say from time to time oh yes always a fun thing and plus Kim Gordon is such an awesome lady and I love reading this so far so I'm excited about that yeah definitely well Megan why don't we go ahead and round this off with recommendations do you have anything for us this week I do so In keeping with the whole, we will still have non-music recommendations on here, I am throwing out the Wet Hot American Summer 10 Years Later um, little season on Netflix. It's eight episodes. They're about like 30-ish minutes each. A very quick watch and a very good addition to the Wet Hot American Summer franchise. I mean, this season had me just going, what? Did that actually just happen? Like, okay. Um, Because it's such a weird, kooky series. So there's that. Plus, who doesn't love a quick watch on Netflix? And in keeping with the music recommendations that we will still give you from time to time, I have a band here called I'm With Her. It is comprised of Aife O'Donovan, Sarah Jarose, and Sarah Watkins. And... These are women who have toured with the Punch Brothers, and I saw them in concert last week, actually, which was really cool. Um, Sarah DeRose is an up-and-coming solo artist who has a beautiful cover of a Radiohead song, and she actually worked with the Punch Brothers on this one, and her version of The Tourist is so good. Like, I heard it live, and I almost cried. And then... Aife O'Donovan is an artist I was introduced to last year when I saw her perform at Red Wing Roots Fest. So that was cool. And then Sarah Watkins is someone who has toured with Nickel Creek. I believe she was a part of the band as well. 
which makes sense because Chris Thiele in The Punch Brothers also had a hand in Nickel Creek. And they also did an amazing cover of Adele's Send My Love to Your New Lover that I'm kind of hoping gets put in a studio recording because that was totally awesome. And as my aside, women in music are so powerful and so awesome that it's just, I love seeing them. Especially when you have two out of three members in a group who are visibly pregnant. Like, how awesome is that? That they can go up on stage, absolutely kill it, have a great time, and not be bogged down by baby growing in the belly, you know? Women are so powerful. I love it. (laughs) Yeah, and my recommendation actually fits pretty well with our theme here and I've already recommended this like all over Twitter you know I've texted people telling them to read this but mine is Meet Me in the Bathroom by Lizzie Goodman she didn't necessarily write this book what she did was she conducted hours upon hours of interviews I know with publicist Jim Merlis I want to say is his name I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name correctly because I only ever email him he mentioned to me in an email that they did like seven hours worth of interviews just for him alone and he's not even like you know one of the main people in the book she talked to the strokes Andy Greenwald's in it there are a ton of people from the New York music scene in it and It's a really great look into that time period when the strokes were coming up and everything and what the New York music scene was like. And it was just a completely fascinating read. It's a pretty long book. I want to say it was at least 600 pages. So it's not quite like our book pick here, but it is definitely worth your time. That sounds very, very interesting. Yeah, I think it would definitely be right up your alley. And like I said, I've been recommending it to everyone. (laughs) But that wraps up the show. And like we said, Jamie Coletta interview coming next week. And you can follow us on Twitter at MisalignPod. You can email us, MisalignPod at gmail.com. And, you know, if you guys have any feedback on what you think of this season at any point, either of those are great places to hit us up. Megan and I can both get to those and I can always just text Megan if there's an email because I seem to, you know, get everything to my phone still. I don't, I'm apparently very bad at turning email notifications off. (laughs) It happens. Yeah, but as always, thank you all for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.